Hey everybody, it's Sean. No doubt you've noticed that we're late, with the second half of season 3. We've had to go back to the drawing board to make sure that those episodes were clear and concise enough for this podcast. Antimatter is no joke. In the meantime, we've recorded a few essays on the current state of particle physics and what the future of collider physics might look like. If you subscribe to the Poseidon Institute Substack, you've probably read this already, but if not, please enjoy. To start, here's our take on the current state on the standard model of particle physics. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Field Guide to Particle Physics. This is your informal guide to the subatomic ecosystem that we're all immersed in. Today, bonus episode Do We Need New Particle Physics? Do we really need new particle physics? Ten years after finally observing the Higgs boson, the experimental silence is deafening. Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions has made the paradigm shift into a trope for scientific progress. While this model of change certainly fits in retrospect, anticipating the next paradigm shift is not a well-defined problem. But this doesn't stop folks from trying. Heady as they were, the early days of string theory were thick with this revolutionary rhetoric. I'm a little concerned that a strong emphasis on a complete upheaval of the status quo has distorted the public's perspective on how science works, or at least how particle physics works, in practice. Hence this essay. Before we discuss anything beyond the standard model of particle physics, it's important to know the scope of our current understanding. Only then will we be able to distinguish revolutionary ideas from the more structurally benign but still theoretically satisfying refinements. Paradigm shifts don't happen because somebody found an error in our arithmetic. They aren't holes poked in a physical model. Scientific models supported by experimental tests aren't the same thing as mathematical proof. One error does not constitute falsification. Scientific theories have an inertia built from the history of experiments and ideas that built them. A single off measurement, like the recent CDF2 analysis of the W boson mass, is simply that, an off measurement. The standard model of particle physics isn't a water balloon waiting for someone with a needle to come by and burst our understanding. A giant concrete sphere is probably a better metaphor. Experimental troubles need to drill really hard to make the model crack. If anything, the main concern with particle physics these days is that the standard model agrees too well with experiment. There's nothing fun for theorists to work on. The only practical things to do are grind and polish that concrete sphere. The standard model in practice. The standard model of particle physics does an outstanding job of predicting how elementary particles interact. It sets the framework for understanding the microscopic scale of our universe. In addition to a taxonomy of individual particles, the standard model explains how those particles interact with one another, how they bind together to form other particles, and provides consistency requirements that sharply constrain what changes might be allowed. Precision tests of quantum electrodynamics, the most familiar corner of the standard model, have aligned theory with experiment to 10 parts in a billion. Related to this, but perhaps less widely known, is another prediction latent in the standard model. The electromagnetic force should get stronger 
at higher energies. The framework of quantum field theory relates various parameters of the standard model to one another, and to the energies at which they interact. The masses of different particles are intimately related to their charges, and vice versa. These relationships vary with the energy in a predictable way. When you smash electrons and positrons together with enough energy to produce a Z boson, the theory predicts that the value of their electric charges should be about 25% larger than we see them at home. Precision experiments have directly verified this phenomena. More subtle but powerful consistency checks are also available to the standard model. For example, the conservation of energy demands that the unstable Z boson must convert all of its rest mass energy into other lighter particles upon its decay. According to the standard model, Z can decay to a bunch of different electrically charged particles and also the electrically neutral neutrini. By averaging over as many decays as we can find and adding up all the masses of all the charged particles observed in all those decays, one can compute the expected contribution of neutrini to the Z boson decays. The fraction of neutrino decays is a precise number that we can compute using the model. Theoretical calculations using the standard model depend primarily on the number of distinct species of neutrino. The particle data group reports that an averaged experimentally observed number of such particles is about 2.92 plus or minus 0.05, which is consistent only with three, three known flavors of neutrino, the electron neutrino, the muon neutrino, and the tau neutrino. If there were an as yet unobserved fourth neutrino that was produced in Z boson decays, the fraction of the Z's rest mass energy devoted to charged particles would be lower than what we see. This is a precision-based consistency check on the qualitative structure of the standard model, the number of distinct neutrino species. But it gets even better. Given that the standard model is organized into three generations of fermions, this also rules out the existence of a simple fourth generation of particles. The standard model in theory. The biggest complaint about the standard model is also what makes it so difficult to communicate. It's really complicated. There are quarks and leptons, force-carrying bosons, and a vast assortment of interactions between all of them. As we've discussed, the properties of all these particles are interrelated and tied up with the energy at which they interact. Including the effects of neutrino masses, the standard model has 26 free parameters. And yet somehow this model still has predictive power. Noticeably absent amongst these, for example, is the mass of the proton. The proton is a composite particle made up of three individual quarks. Amusingly, the masses of those quarks contribute almost nothing to the overall mass of the proton itself. The proton mass is generated dynamically, a direct manifestation of Einstein's famous E equals mc squared formula. It's made from subnuclear goo, like the gluons that communicate the strong nuclear force. Because of the success explaining things like the proton mass using gluons, there is some hope that some of those 26 parameters of the standard model can be similarly explained away by some new physical dynamics. Given our modern understanding of particle physics, these parameters could be reinterpreted as effective parameters for some phenomena that we don't yet understand. In other words, the standard model is theoretically unsatisfying because it appears incomplete. But does this incompleteness constitute a need 
for new physics, or is it merely just an aesthetic complaint? The Higgs instability. Physicists tend to believe that they need new physics to work on. New physics usually requires an unsolved problem. In theoretical particle physics these days, unsolved problems can feel more like loose ends. For theorists, at least one of those loose ends, the mass of the Higgs boson, comes with two servings of existential dread. Unlike other parameters in the standard model, the mass of the Higgs boson appears to be too low. Far too low. It's arguably unscientific to talk qualitatively about what the mass of a particle should be. In the absence of a concrete model, this is ultimately a question for philosophers, not physicists. But when a physicist says the mass of a particle is too low, they typically have very precise concerns. The scope of standard model parameters. In addition to finding the masses of particles, another thing physicists like to do is to see how generic those masses are. Remember, the masses and other parameters of the standard model are all interrelated. If nature just happened to change one of them by a little bit, how would that tiny change affect the rest? Ideally, a little change in a mass or charge of a particle would have negligible effect on the rest of physics. If that's true, then we have a pretty strong handle on how the physics works. When models are insensitive to tiny changes of parameters, we call them stable. And to the chagrin of philosophers everywhere, physicists call such stable parameters natural. The Higgs is not natural. Quantum mechanics allows particles like the Higgs to burst apart into different species and then collapse back in on themselves rapidly. These blips, or loops as they're called, involve virtual particles appearing and disappearing so quickly that they aren't typically observable, even in principle. What we see instead is the aggregate statistical effect of this behavior. Earlier, we mentioned the variability of the electron's charge with collision energy. This is just an example of those quantum loop effects. The electrons are surrounded by a cloud of such virtual photons, electrons, and positrons. And the statistical effect of this cloud of virtual particles amounts to a screening of the true electric charge. Particles with higher energy penetrate deeper into the electron's virtual particle cloud before recoiling away. The deeper a colliding particle gets through this shielding cloud, the more of the electron's bare charge it gets to see. Hence, the effective electric charge of the electron increases with collision energy. Carrying that cloud of virtual particles around also affects the inertia of the electron. The mass, in other words, can also change as a statistical effect of these virtual particles. The Higgs boson also has a cloud of virtual particles, and the top quark makes up the largest fraction of that cloud. The top quarks are the heaviest and contribute a large amount to the aggregated mass of the Higgs boson. But here's the thing. The Higgs plays an unusual role in the standard model of particle physics. Through its interaction, the Higgs bestows a mass to many of the fundamental particles like quarks and leptons. And because of that unusual role, the particles appearing in the Higgs virtual cloud have a mass that depends on the mass of the Higgs. And all this gives rise to a peculiar feedback effect. The mass of the Higgs boson changes violently with collision energy. The Higgs boson, in other words, is not technically natural. Technical naturalists, stability, and fine-tuning. As we've discussed, the mass and interaction strengths between fundamental particles change depending on how hard you hit them. 
How dramatically they change with energy is related to how stable they are. The typical size of a quantum correction to the Higgs mass is enormous. The ratio of physical mass to quantum corrections is something like one part in 10 to the 16. A natural ratio by comparison, like, you know, almost all other parameters of the standard model, would be closer to like one part in 10. Usually, unnatural values of physical parameters are explained by the existence of new particles. The charm quark, for example, was predicted to explain the otherwise unnaturally small decays between some leptons. Models based on the weak scale supersymmetry were exciting precisely because they were rich in new particles which could account for the fine-tuning of the Higgs mass. To date, there is no direct evidence for any such particles. And so the problem remains. Why is the Higgs mass so small? But for theoretical physicists, a more pressing question undergirds this one. Is that question about the Higgs mass within the scope of scientific inquiry at all? Well, we don't yet know. We may never know. In any case, there's still more work to be done. The Higgs vacuum metastability. And this conundrum gets worse. As we've discussed, the Higgs gives a mass to other particles like electrons, muons, and quarks through a convoluted set of particle interactions. But the Higgs boson also interacts with itself. Through the same quantum loop effects, the strength of the Higgs self-interaction becomes related to its mass, and therefore to the mass of all the other particles. Physicists like to visualize these kind of collective effects in terms of potential energy, like a ball rolling down a hill. The potential energy of the Higgs can be written as a simple polynomial in some variable h, like lambda h to the fourth plus qh squared. Varying these parameters, lambda and q, corresponds to changing the shape of the potential energy landscape. And just with a ball rolling down a track or a valley, the Higgs field settles into a minimum, a valley, the bottom of the potential. Now that we've observed the Higgs, of course, we can plug the numbers in to see what lambda and q are. We can determine what this potential energy landscape looks like. And annoyingly, right now, it appears to be upside down. In short, the Higgs field, which literally controls the physical parameters of our known universe, is perched atop a quasi-stable position, a metastable position, the top of a hill rather than the bottom of a valley. As with alpha decay in nuclear physics, quantum effects gives a non-zero probability for the Higgs field to pop out and, and roll away. Granted, studies suggest that this metastability of the Higgs vacuum should last longer than the known age of this universe. Moreover, it doesn't seem to have any appreciable effect on our models of the earliest moments of the universe. But it does raise the ante on concerns about naturalness and predictability in physics. If the Higgs vacuum really is fine-tuned, then it might be finely tuned precisely because the universe just happened to land in this corresponding metastable state. Meaning, the mass of the particles endowed by the Higgs, like the electron and the muon, the details of our very existence may well be a pure cosmic accident. Or, as with the case of the charm quark and the gym mechanism, it may well be resolved by the presence of new physics. Only more grinding scientific research can refine our understanding and potentially answer this question. So, do we really need new particle physics? Probably, but not necessarily. 
because of the Higgs instability. Physicist John Ellis has been writing about this routinely for decades. Quote, It used to be said that the nightmare scenario for the LHC would be to discover the Higgs boson and nothing else. However, the measured masses of the Higgs boson and the top quark may be hinting that there must be physics beyond the standard model that stabilizes the vacuum. Let us take heart from this argument and keep looking for new physics, even if there is no guarantee of immediate success. Unquote. The universe, as we understand it, could well be finely tuned. Statistical anomalies aside, there is as yet no significant direct experimental result that requires the existence of a new fundamental particle or an interaction in particle colliders. Instead, we likely need some new particle physics to explain the effects of dark matter. Now, it may well be that this dark matter, whatever it is, interacts only gravitationally, or could be some relic, some complicated feature of gravity that we don't yet fully understand either. It might not be particle physics. But if it is, it may not interact with the weak nuclear force at all, which means that it would have zero impact on the Higgs mass or its associated technical instability. But gosh, let's hope not. That would actually be the nightmare scenario for particle physicists, since capturing and studying a gravitational-only particle seems like an intractable problem for the foreseeable future. Solving that would no doubt require some revolutionary thinking. Nevertheless, if there's one thing to moralize from Kuhn's revolutions, it's that any new understanding of how nature works requires both time and hard work. This has been an installment of the Field Guide to Particle Physics, a copyrighted production of the Poseidon Institute. We're in our third season, and it's all about antimatter. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode interesting, fascinating, pleasantly confusing, or even just useful, please make sure to subscribe for more and pass it around. For a full, free online copy of the Field Guide, please visit our website at Poseidon.org or follow the Poseidon Institute on Instagram. At the Poseidon Institute, we are on a mission to build and share physics knowledge without barriers. Come learn with us. <laughs>